I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke 22, if you would. We're going to look at a few verses in Luke 22, 14 through 20, as we prepare uh, for the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. If you're uh, tuning in at home, would you get your elements together, your juice and your um, bread at home? Also, as we look at this together, I want you to turn to another passage and just hold that, if you would. That'd be Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. I agree with Andy Stanley who said that he is suspicious of two words, unlimited and unconditional. For just a moment, think about that, a lifetime unlimited warranty or an unlimited lifetime warranty. Whose lifetime is that? Yours? Mine? The product? It's a little bit of a catch, is it not? You think about those, those words, unconditional. Um, I think about, and unlimited, I think about unlimited meals when you were in college. I don't know if you ever did that. We talk about the freshman 15, but there was a time in my life when I was felt. I mean, I know it's hard to believe now, but when I was a freshman in, in college, my first semester, I was lifting weights, I was working out, I was trying to play college baseball, and I could not go buy a mirror without checking myself out. You know, I was a lean, mean fighting machine, about 185 pounds. Then I quit playing college baseball, and I went to, a, to Wayland Baptist, and they had a fantastic cafeteria and I took advantage of the unlimited meals and I didn't gain my freshman 15 I gained like 30 and I've been battling my weight ever since but there's a a, a, a connotation to that unconditional unlimited word when we we think about it I want you to think about God's unconditional love and his unlimited Grace and forgiveness. As we prepare for his table, you say, Kyle, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. And you're right. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where everybody that's watching this broadcast has been or done. But if we learn anything from the story of the prodigal son and the prodigal father last week, it was this, we can never go too far to not come home to God's love and God's grace. And so as we prepare for the table, we are reminded of that. And I'm glad that you have tuned in if you think that you've gone too far out of the reach of God's mercy and His grace. Today we are looking at the story of the Passover and the Last Supper that Jesus instituted. And as we walk through the context of this, I just want you to think for a moment about an intimate family gathering, a meal that you have taken where you knew uh, the participants or someone there was going to cue you in or clue you in on some good news that they had to share. Maybe some news that would change your life forever. I can remember um, about 27 years ago or so, Jennifer saying, I want you to meet me at this restaurant at the end of Nolan Road in Independence, Missouri while I was going to seminary and she was going to college. And she had a, a, something she wanted to talk to me about. And I can remember sitting in that Chinese restaurant in that booth and her taking out kind of a fortune cookie and along with it an EPT test telling me that we were about to be parents. 
my life would change forever. I, I can remember just a couple of years ago, Campeses on 82nd and Quaker in Lubbock when my daughter-in-law and my son decided to tell us that we were going to be grandparents. Today I got to spend all day with my granddaughter watching her. There is blessings from the coronavirus. She couldn't go to her sitter, so I got to watch her all day today. And so I thought about those intimate moments when my life was changed by the information that came out in those intimate settings. And then I thought about this text. Jesus was eager to have this last supper with those who were closest to him. He was not so eager to go to the cross the next day. We know that he prayed that that cup would pass from him. But we know in these moments he was excited to do some tying up of loose ends before he suffered. And so as we look at this passage, I want you to think about what he does here in maybe a new context, maybe a, a, a new way of seeing this. Just like we looked at the prodigal son afresh last week, I want you to think about the establishment of the, the Lord's Supper and the establishment of the new covenant in a fresh sort of way uh, this evening. So as we look at this uh, together, I want us to look first at that passage in Luke 22, uh, beginning with verse 14. Now again, the context is the Passover, and Peter and John have gone to prepare the Passover, and what that meant is that they had to go buy the lamb, and they had to stand in one of the three shifts at the temple to have that lamb sacrificed, and then they brought that lamb back to the upper room and, and began roasting and waited for the others. Peter and John were assigned that task. Jesus had all the details worked out for where they were going to meet. Together, remember, he says, hey, find that man who's carrying that jar of water and follow him and he'll have a place ready, furnished for us. Now, it wasn't common for a man to carry a jar of water. That was a, a woman's job. Men, most of the time, carried skins of water if they carried water at all. And so he would stand out. And Jesus was in charge of every detail of his destiny. He's on his way to the cross, but he's got things that need to be taken care of before he gets there. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. And when the hour came in verse 14, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. That's an amazing 
fact that Judas is there with him in this intimate setting. And he is going to be identified among the other apostles there with him. And Jesus is pouring out his love on Judas, even as Judas is already prepared to betray him. As earlier in this passage in Luke 22, it says that Satan had entered Judas and he had conspired with the chief priests and the scribes to betray Jesus. That was their wild card. That was what they would need, were, were needing. That was their inner source to get at Jesus because of the crowds. He'd answered their prayers in a very real sense. They had been plotting to kill Jesus. Now remember, as we look at this passage in the context of the Passover meal, that Jesus is about to do something and say some things that would be totally foreign to these disciples with him in the upper room. They would have no really frame, no real frame to process all of this. As good Jews, they would have celebrated the Passover since they were children. And, and they would have known how to do that and what the various elements of this Seder meal were all about. Did you notice in this passage that Luke has two cups? He does that different than the other apostles because there were probably four cups at the Seder meal altogether. And in this context, the first cup that Luke mentions is the, the cup of community. He wants to remind those who are with him that they're in this together, that it is truly a communion of their souls and their experience here, that they take this together. And then he goes through the other elements of the bread and the cup. And as he does that, uh, he really redefines what that Passover meant for them. You recall what the Passover was all about when the, the children of God were delivered out of Egyptian slavery and they celebrated that. Why wouldn't they celebrate that? That deliverance out of the misery that the Pharaoh had placed this, them in. And so there would be elements of the supper uh, like uh, bitter herbs that they would take, remembering the bitter misery of that slavery, or, or the stewed fruit that would remind them of the, in the texture and even the color of the, the bricks that they were forced to make before God delivered them, before God heard their cries. And sent Moses to free them from their bondage. So every year, this was a special gathering for the Jewish people. But it was bittersweet at, at this particular time when Jesus took it with his disciples because the nation of Israel was an occupied land. They were celebrating the freedom they had received from the greatest power in the world at the time Egypt, yet they were under the oppression of the greatest power during Jesus' day, Rome. And, and the people were looking for a deliverer and hoping that Jesus might be the one. That they could celebrate this Passover not just as a remembrance of what happened in the past, but that God would be present in the present and deliver them as well. All during this time, 
the chief priests and the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those religious rulers are trying to kill Jesus. They're plotting to kill Jesus. And the problem is, the crowds love him so much, they don't want to start a riot. Mark's gospel tells us that. And so they need an in, and Judas is that in, and so they, they figure out a way to work this, the details out. But, but it seems as though it's when Peter and John are going to prepare the Passover, that they do that kind of in a, a stealthy, stealthily, uh, undercover, kind of covert way when they identify this man. Because they don't want to spoil what Jesus has to say prematurely. They don't want to allow Judas to have a, a, a heads up where they're meeting and, and identify at that moment because Jesus still has business to do with his disciples. He laid it all out. He's planned out his own, in a very real sense, execution. He's in charge. Even though it looks like the religious rulers are in charge. Even though it looks like the Romans are in charge. Even though it looks like Judas is, is leading that entourage. It's Jesus who's in charge of this meal. And what he does, and what he says, is so significant. Because he takes the elements and redefines what they are. See, the, the bread would have been the bread of affliction. Any good Jew knew that. They were eating the bread, unleavened bread, because they had to eat it hastily as they made their way out of Egypt. But Jesus says, no. It's not the bread of affliction in that sense anymore. Think about this for just a moment. He says, this is, is my body given for you. And he says, this is the cup that is poured out for you. It's the new covenant in my blood. So, the disciples had to be a little bit confused, and I can almost imagine them as they begin to take the bread thinking, what did he just say? This is my body? Everybody knows this is not a body. This is the bread of affliction. But Jesus says, do this not to remember the deliverance then, but to remember the deliverance now. To remember me. Now, let me put it in a little context here. Okay? It, let's just say next December, as we begin the holiday season, we say, well, we're, instead of celebrating Christ's birth, we're going to celebrate my birth. It's pretty close to, to Christmas time. And we're going to call it Calmus instead of Christmas. How about that? And we're going to sing um, Calmus carols. How about, <laughs> doesn't that sound weird? even to think about, and we're going to have a Calmus Eve service, and I, I'm going to, on Sunday, we're, I'm going to sit here, and you're just going to tell me how great I am. Now, if that ever happens, leave the church, because you know something drastically has gone wrong, but just for an instance, this is, this is what's going on in those disciples' minds, something even greater than that. Jesus is making Passover, this great festival that they celebrate every year, about him. 
It's like he used that event and orchestrated that event of Passover when the angel of death passed over the firstborn because of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost to come to this event where he establishes the new covenant, the Last Supper. Have you ever seen it that way before? That he was moving all of history to this moment? We need to understand that the establishment of this, this new covenant as well. In order to understand that, I'm just going to take you through a, a few things about the way ancients saw treaties and covenants. Now, there were three basic types of covenants or treaties in those days. One was a, a bilateral parity covenant or treaty. It was between two equal people. You do this, and I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. Equal. The second one was also bilateral, involved two, two parties, but it was a suzerainty. Suzerain was a king. And, and this bilateral treaty had to do with, with two unequal uh, parties. And, and the, the, the one who was in charge, the king, um, mandated or dictated the terms to the lesser party, the vassal. This was the kind of, of covenant or treaty that the Mosaic covenant was. God is saying to them, if you keep these laws, you keep these rules, then I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll be for you in battle. And if you don't, then I'm not going to protect you. And I'm not going to bless your crops. And I'm not going to be for you. But the third type is kind of the Abrahamic covenant, which is a, a promissory covenant, which is between two people, but only one person, a greater person, binds himself for the sake of the lesser person. And that's the kind of covenant God makes with Abraham, where he makes the, the, the distinction, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to bless you, you're going to be a great nation and out of that great nation, the whole world's going to be blessed. And so when we think about covenants and the disciples, they didn't, they didn't get it. They don't get it until after the resurrection for sure. I'm not sure we would have gotten it had we been there either. But the kind of covenant, all of these covenants, are, the kind of covenant that, that Jesus is establishing in the new covenant is the promissory where a greater authority takes upon the whole burden themselves. Now, when God ratifies those covenants, all three of those kind of ancient covenants were ratified by blood. Something had to die. A lot of times there were some weird sort of things that would happen in the, uh, the, the first two. They'd exchange sandals or they'd kiss or they'd hug or they'd cut their wrist or all sorts of those kind of things. But primarily... They would make a sacrifice, and they would split that sacrifice in two, and the, the two parties involved would walk through that sacrifice, and they would remind themselves, if we violate this covenant, then what's going to happen to us is what happened to this unfortunate animal. It's a very serious sort of, of thing. But with the promissory covenant, it was different. 
Abraham doesn't walk through the sacrifice. God walks through the sacrifice in Genesis 15 himself. Because he's taking on the whole burden himself. You see what Jesus was saying to his disciples as he reestablished the Passover? The thing that they were so familiar with is this is for you, but it's on me. And what he was saying to them, as Matthew's gospel records, this is, this is my body, or this is my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin, is that I'm going to be the sacrificial animal in all of this. I'm going to take the sins of the world upon myself. And I I'm going to pay the price to ratify this covenant between you and the Father. And you're no longer going to celebrate Passover like you used to celebrate it, talking about deliverance then, but you're going to celebrate it talking about deliverance now. It's not the same kind of deliverance that the whole Jewish nation is looking for from Rome. It's a better, more eternal deliverance that all of us, and look toward. So as we take the elements in just a few moments, I, I, I want to remind you that the apostles would have been familiar with this language of a new covenant, even though they wouldn't have been familiar with connecting that to Jesus. And that's found in the passage I ask you to hold in Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. I want to share those verses with you for just a moment. In 31, 31, Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming. In other words, somebody get a notepad, take note. Here, here comes a new thing, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. You see this new covenant? That was defined 650 years before Jesus established and ratified that new covenant. By the way, that was going to be done the next day after the Lord's Supper with His blood. They wouldn't have seen that. They thought the, the juice represented the blood of the Lamb, and it did. But a different Lamb. They should have known because when Jesus comes on the scene the very first time in John 1.29. 
As John the Baptist introduces him, he says, remember? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Started from the very beginning. And yet they, they didn't get it. And so when Jesus establishes this, possibly, hopefully, later on, they connected the, the words of Jeremiah about this greater covenant, this better covenant. Remember, in this passage, how, how much better it is? He says it's not going to be like, like Mosaic covenant. It's not going to be where you have to memorize all of those laws and understand those 613 different things to do and even understand those Ten Commandments. It's, it's not like that at all. The law is going to be written on their hearts. There's going to be an inward power, a conviction, I believe, of, of the Holy Spirit where we understand what God wants from us. And shows us as we look at His Word and the Spirit interprets His Word for us. He's writing on our hearts something new He's creating in us. A new heart even. And then it, it's, it's better because there's a better relationship involved. I will be their God and they will be my people. We know that we belong to God, but we also know in this new covenant, He belongs to us. He's our God. He's my God. I spoke with Him this morning. Have you? As we think about how personal He is, it goes on to talk about the intimacy of that relationship in verse 34 in Jeremiah 31. Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Remember, in Scripture, that word know talks about an intimacy, like a man between a, a woman. We know, it says Adam knew Eve in a, a sexual kind of relationship. That's not the intimacy he's talking about here, but it is talking about an intimacy where we know God. Remember, Jesus at one point says, if, well, a lot of folks are going to think they know Him, but they don't, and He would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There was never an intimate, personal relationship. The new covenant is better in that it's intimate. But the fourth thing here, the old covenant could never cover. Found at the end of verse 34. There's a greater forgiveness. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. You know, those aren't those beautiful words as we come to the table? He will remember our sin no more. I'm so glad. And I want this to be so true. And I believe it to be so true from this passage. That when it comes to our sin, because of what Jesus has done, God has amnesia. He remembers it no more. Because He chooses to allow it to be covered by His blood. Once and for all.
That's what happened that night. That's what Jesus established. And so we come to the table today because of what he established then. And we come understanding if we were in that room what it would take to claim that. His body broken for you. For me. The cup poured out for you. If it's for you, how do you make it yours? How do you make it personal? Well, if you're Peter, you do it like you did it all along. When Jesus saw Peter the very first time, you remember, he said, let's go fishing. And Peter said, you don't know anything about fishing. You're a carpenter. And Jesus says, I know more than you think I know. And they put out and he caught all those fish. And Peter realizes that he is in a class, a person among Jesus that he has never been in before. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He doesn't know what's happened, but he knows something great has happened. And Jesus says from the very beginning with Peter, a simple word, two words. Follow me. And after all of what Peter did, did in following him, and even after his denial of Jesus at a crucial moment, at the end, as they reestablish that relationship, Jesus again tells Peter, follow me. That's how you access the new covenant. You follow. If you're John, the word may be a little different, but it's the same kind of concept. It's especially a great concept for those who have never followed or never do what John is going to tell us to do in his gospel. Believe. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God in John 1.12. Or later, that great verse in John 3.16 he says, whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes that I've taken all the sins of the world, whoever believes that I did it and I did it alone and I did it once and once for all, whoever has accepted that in their head and in their heart gets to live forever. I want to close with this thought. At the filming of this, there were some 529,093 confirmed cases of coronavirus in our world. Some 23,956 deaths in 175 countries based upon John Hopkins' um, statistics. Could you imagine if 529,093 people were all gathered in a single place and you sent your son, your child, to take that dreaded disease, that dreaded virus. And if they would come and just touch him, or just hear him, or, or just believe in him, that that virus would be removed. Would you send your son to that infected area to take away 
that dreaded disease? That's what the Father has done. That was the plan all along. That Jesus would come and take away our sin. Not our sins. Not each individual action, but our disease. Our hearts that are wrong. That are infected. And He came and became sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. So you follow Him. You believe in Him. And you come to the table. I want to thank Brad and the worship team for all the extra work they've put in. They've created an atmosphere of normalcy in the midst of this chaos. They, in just a few moments, are going to prepare our hearts in worship for the Lord's table. Hope you're ready with your elements gathered around your TV, your computer screen, or your smart device. Well, hopefully with your, your oikos. I just want to say a word about the Lord's Supper. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then this may seem a little odd to you. And really, it's not for you. But what it represents most certainly is for you. Christ's body broken, given for us. Christ's blood shed to establish a new covenant, a new relationship with God the Father. It's for all of us. So as we uh, prepare our hearts for this, I want to remind you of just some ways you can come. Some attitudes you can take as we partake together. Let's take our cue from Jesus as he establishes the first Lord's Supper. First, we come eagerly, ready to be involved in his task in his kingdom, in his work to redeem humanity. And we come grateful, grateful that we have partners in that, one another, but even more so grateful for the sacrifice that he provided for us. So we come with that great spirit of, of gratitude, but we also come ready, ready to be a part of the new covenant, to dive in deep with the Lord in a personal relationship with him, accepting what he's done for us, believing he's paid our debt that we owed, and trusting that he'll use us uh, to expand his kingdom. So as we come together, I want to share just one final uh, piece of scripture, and then I want to encourage those of you who have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, enter into a personal relationship with Him, that you can do that today. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a, a simple prayer if you've never done that. These words from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you've never accepted Christ, you can do that by faith. 
by trusting in His grace. Simply pray something like this. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner and need You. I believe You died on the cross to forgive me of my sin. And I trust, Lord, You with my life. I commit myself. I choose this day to follow You. If you've done that, would you let someone know? Would you call the church? Or call your church if you're not a part of First Baptist Church. Call us at 592-3130 and let us know, and we'd be glad to follow up on that commitment. If you've done that already and you're a believer in Christ, just keep believing. Keep following. And keep sharing what Jesus has done for you. God bless you as we partake of the table together.
David, I'm going to ask you to come at this time and bless our elements. And we're going to partake of this together. David, you pray. Lord Jesus, uh, as we come to the, the table today for communion, Lord, I just uh, come humbly. Uh, I ask that you uh, examine our hearts, Lord, and anything that we have that is causing us to be separated from you, you just make us aware of that, Lord. We thank you so much for your, your sacrifice, that, that your death, and as, as we partake in this in, in remembrance of you, that, that that death erased our sin for all time, Lord, and just uh, placing us in our heart a desire to live for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, David. Now, would you take the elements? Would you watch at home? Would you take your, your bread and your cup? We don't have two cups today like Luke's gospel. We just have one. We have the one who stat that establishes the new covenant. But let us before that take uh, the bread which in the Passover was the bread of the affliction. But Jesus redefines as His body. Given. Given for us. They didn't take it from Him. He laid it down because of His great love for us. Take ye and remember Him. That same occasion was probably a little time lapsed because this happened at the end of the meal. They took the cup and Jesus says, this is the cup poured out for the new covenant. What kind of covenant was it? In my blood. He established it, validated it, ratified the covenant we have with God that personal relationship we have with God, the access we have to the Father through the shedding of His blood. Do this and remember Him. Father, we thank You for the opportunity always to gather and remember, to remind ourselves we're not in it alone. We have other brothers and sisters all over who are watching this or are with us that we can count on. People we know that know You. Lord, we also know that we're not in it alone because of what You've done for us. Given us personal access to You. And I pray, Lord, if there's Anybody watching this at any level who doesn't know you in a real and personal way, that they would understand through the power of your Spirit what Jesus has done for them. He's done for all of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your great generosity and giving your body for us. Lord, thank You for Your great wisdom and sacrifice 
and allowing your blood to establish the new covenant. In your holy name we pray. Amen.